Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. I don't know where you guys are at with processing this pandemic. For me personally, it's an hour by hour, day by day kind of thing. But what I do know is that the work of ministry, the work of discipleship continues. We have heard story after story of how God is continuing to move in local ministries like yours, even during this crisis. But we know there's more stories out there, so please leave a voicemail at 630-289-5353 about what you've learned during this crisis, your greatest challenges, and most importantly, your success stories and the things that are giving you hope during this unprecedented season. You can leave a voicemail, you can even email the show, so you can email podcasts at awana.org, or you can leave a voicemail at 630-289-5353. I can't wait to hear from you directly. Today we're gonna do something that has essentially nothing to do with the coronavirus. And that's because what you're about to hear was recorded before we all shut down. Sean Thornton is the senior pastor at Calvary Community Church out in California, and he's a board member at Awana. I had the chance to talk to Sean and Valerie Bell about what I've come to learn is a common tension in the world of children's ministry. And that is this appearance of a gap between what the senior pastor or whatever the sort of executive leadership looks like in your church and the child advocates, the children's ministry professionals, the local leaders who are making resilient disciples directly. Sean is a senior pastor of a large church, but he is someone who deeply cares about children's ministry in his church and around the world. I would highly encourage you to listen to this full episode because you're going to hear not only practical things to think about as you navigate those tensions within your local context, but I also think you're going to be reminded that we are all on this mission together and pandemic or not, we are still God's plan A to restore his world. We start the conversation with Sean explaining the circumstances in his life that have made him a child advocate. So here is episode 28 of the Resilient Disciples podcast. How did this conversation become so important to you? Because I think the perception for some pastors is that they don't even care about what's happening in their children's wing. I think it started my childhood, Okay, quite frankly. <laughs> um, I was a child who I believe, I've had a hard time over the years explaining to people uh, that God met me as a child in mm-hmm. many different ways. And uh, you and I have had that conversation, Valerie. It's very hard to say. As a matter of fact, I found myself at a men's retreat last fall at Hume Lake, a big Christian camp in California, great place. And they wanted me to share some of my story. And I would try to say, I remember being like nine years old and this circumstance happened in our home and I was alone in my room and God met me in that moment. Mm. I didn't see a Jesus at the foot of my bed, but I would say my childhood experience has given me a heart for children's ministry, for children's ministry in my local church, for children's ministry in Africa, in in gypsy camps in Ukraine, in all kinds of places, uh, kids in special needs in Russia. I've been places where my heart breaks for mm-hmm. children. And so you it started in childhood. That? You know what I call that? Someone who has a knowing childhood. 
Uh, yeah. And I find that people who have knowing childhoods are often much more sensitive to the needs of kids and the, especially the spiritual needs of children. Right. And so you definitely fit that category, I think. Sean. Yeah, it started there, my passion for kids mm-hmm. and my own childhood that was very complicated, very, at times, even if I was with a lot of people, very lonely, very much didn't feel, you know, the word belong. Right. We talk about a lot with resilient disciples as a, as a first step to reaching them. For me as a kid, and even into adulthood, I've just realized in the last year or so that I've never really thought I belonged anywhere. Mm. And I'm married to a woman who's got such good self-awareness and esteem that she feels like she belongs everywhere. (laughs) And my brother who grew up with me, he feels like he's comfortable everywhere. So I want kids to be loved. And even if they're in a home that looks like the uh, you know, typical Christian evangelical home, I know that there can be a loneliness and a need there. So my Absolutely. heart just aches for those kids who are longing to be loved in uh, in a way in which maybe it's not happening right now because of whatever circumstances in their life. So yeah. Sean was the oldest son in this yeah. family. And I've said to you before, you were an adultified child. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, your childhood gets robbed in a stressful home and you end up having to be the responsible person making the right decisions. And that is extremely lonely. And it shapes your, your leadership then. So for me as a senior pastor of a fairly, you know, large setting, um, I can't be in every children's ministry on the weekend. I can't be there on the midweek. I, I can't be at all those things. But I do have a heart for that, and everybody knows that. I mean, Mm -hmm. they know in our setting that I actually, I think I mentioned this to you the other day, Valerie, I don't watch the attendance of the main room. I don't look at the overall attendance of our church every week. I ask to get one number every week, and that's zero to four-year-olds. How many zero to four-year-olds were there? That's great. Because it tells me the pulse of the church. And if, if it got to the point that was steadily going down and I'm in my 60s, let's say, <laughs> that's a good sign that maybe I am now beginning to not be able to point to the next generation. We need more voices to help us get there. It doesn't mean I have to necessarily step out of my mm-hmm. senior role, but it means I've got to figure out a way that our ministry has got to reach to those. Because a zero to four-year-old does not come... Uh, with their neighbor, you know, generally your, you know, your two year old doesn't bring the neighbor who's two or the child from preschool with them in your car. Cause it's just too young for parents to send a child off. So these kids are usually coming with a parent, maybe a single parent, mm-hmm. maybe gay parents, maybe, you, you know, all the complexities of life and they're coming into our setting and I want them from zero to four through adulthood, you know, so right through middle school, high school, young adults, to know that love, to know that they can know the hope of Christ, to experience a relationship with Jesus and become resilient disciples that will be the bright future of the church in 2050. So that's your thermometer. That's my thermometer. (laughs) It It really is. It is. You know, uh, I think you've been very vulnerable with your church about your childhood. And so they know what your pathway has been. And you know how I know that is I visited your church. I visited your church many times. Sean is my adopted West Coast <laughs> pastor. <laughs> I received that. Yeah. You're an easy parishioner. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm so far away. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but when I visited his church, and I, of course, would want to say I'm here, so I would want to see you after the service, right. I have to get in line behind all of these mm. uh, young people, children, kids with special needs. They And he stands there and he waits for that whole life to go down, but I know that they feel like they have access and understanding there. 
And how wonderful is that for kids to have that kind of relationship, even if it's just in passing after Sunday church. Uh, there's a comfortableness. There's an acceptance there. Uh, I love that. Yeah, it's it's important to me, and then it, that spills over into my you know leadership as a as a senior uh, leader on our senior leadership team. Yeah, because I feel what I hear in that is you know. What I want to say is, well, if, if Sean can do it in his context, then you can do it in your context, right? <laughs> because you have clearly shown that that is a priority to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your team knows that that's a metric that you care about, right. uh, that that's your thermometer. Um, and that allows for that fruit to exist because people know that that is a place that you want to grow more, that they, that you that they have access for. And I feel like for, you know, the church of 50 people, who has a volunteer children's person and a senior uh, pastor person like that, that is a great place to start mm-hmm. of finding those ways where, you know, this is a thing that I think that you need to care about, I think, because it really reflects the pulse of the church. I also tell stories, you know, I hear great stories from our staff, either they're in the hallway in a formal meeting, somebody sends an email, Hey, you know, Sean, yesterday we had this family come and whether it was a child with a disability or was, it was a family that had been a creaster kind of, and your background's a little <laughs> yeah. bit that. Uh, they, uh, they'll, they'll highlight a story. Well, I try to keep those together, and we have a huddle every week with our whole staff on Monday afternoon. Just a, It's almost like a stand-up meeting for about 40 minutes. We look back at what's happened. We look ahead. It's not really a staff meeting. It's more of a, a, a powwow, a get-together, a, you know, uh, and we pray. And, and I usually try to take away two to three stories from the last week of Mm. the life of Calvary to tell a story. It's not always about children, but generally I try to think, okay, if I've got two or three little snippets to share through this time and it, it's informal. They didn't even know that I've intended necessarily. Mm -hmm. Now they do, (laughs) but I go in with just a couple stories and our executive pastor leads the meeting Mm. and I'm up there with him. And usually he knows one that I want to share, or he'll just look at me if we haven't had a chance to talk and he'll say, Hey, what do you want to share about the weekend or the last week? And he knows I've always come in there ready to share. And the majority of the time, those are going to be stories about children's ministry, special needs, middle school, high school, young adults, because I so believe that that 414 window that we always talk about from four years of age to 14 is such a window Mm -hmm. uh, of kids coming to Jesus and early and important discipleship happening in their lives. Yeah that I tell the stories that are coming from parents that are coming from volunteers that are coming from staff. And there are wonderful stories of God meeting children. That's that's a wonderful way for people to help a pastor. Tell them a story to lead up. I I like that phrase lead up and tell him a story he can use or tell him a story that can encourage him. What other things can people do to help pastors be more kid aware or more, uh, kid-centric uh, in the way that they approach their ministries. Another big thing that um, I think staff, volunteers, people in the church can do is tell their own story because mm-hmm. when every now and then when I talk about 414, and once a year I try to do a Jesus Loves the Little Children uh, message. I try to sprinkle it throughout the year. We try to, on a child dedication Sunday, just preach a message on uh, a story about Jesus with children or the emphasis in Scripture Psalm 78, something of a text that talks about kids and pouring into the next generation. And I'll have like, okay, everybody who came to Jesus before you were 14, stand. (laughs) Then I'll say everybody who came to Jesus after you were 14, stand. And it's, you know, 75% stand before 14, even, you know, in the adult service. I'm not talking asking kids or high schoolers. I'm talking the main room adult service. And what will happen is 
somebody will come to me, wow, that's incredible. I Shocking. stood with the you know, pre-14, you know, and I know your story is different that you kicked Yeah, no, I was, college, I was way after 14. But it's still in, in the, the shoulder it of the window. It was a late adopter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're still on the shoulder of that time. You Absolutely. Know, you're a young person, still uh, formative years of life in college mm-hmm. and all. But what happens is people will come and tell me the story. So I would say to executive leaders, children's pastors, executive pastors, whoever you are in church leadership, is ask people to tell you their stories, create a culture where they'll walk up and tell you what happened in their own mm, life. That's great. And if your pastor seems to not get it when it comes to children's ministry, instead of, you know, just giving him the book resilient and say, Hey, you need to read this because we're way <laughs> off base. <laughs> Believe me, as a pastor, that puts you in the mood not to read the book. He you will know? hate that <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah. Exactly. When someone comes to me that way, that book to hand me in the lobby and tell me our church needs this because we're so off track. <laughs> well, my years of prayer and preaching and leading and sweat and energy, I just take that on my way into the back room, you know, to get ready for the next service. I just drop that in the circular file mm-hmm. if yep. it's given to me that way. Mm-hmm. But come along and say, Hey, Pastor, there's a great book that's been produced, come out from Awana. It doesn't speak about, it's not a book about Awana. It's about children's ministry uh, called Resilient. And I want to give you a copy of that. But let me tell you my story. Yeah. You know, just tell your story. Mm-hmm. And when the, when pastors start to really, a lot of my friends, they'll say, oh, we, you know, we've worked focused on children's ministry so long. You know, the church needs to focus on adults. So we're cutting down on children's space and children's ministries and we're emphasizing, you know, good ministries, small groups and outreach. That's all important, Mm -hmm. but don't overlook the children. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, if your pastor's in that position, just tell them your own story. And 75% of the church can tell a story of coming to Jesus before 14. How would it be if you were my pastor really, and I came to you with resilient and I said to you, this is going to reignite your love for the church. It would, it would encourage me. It would also encourage me if you said, I, if you said, I personally was so challenged by this book, Pastor, that I'm praying for the kids in our church. I, I'm going to, uh, I'm already volunteering or I'm going to volunteer or I'm going to make sure as we're doing, because like in a lot of settings like ours, we're doing some capital campaign stuff that deals with kids with special needs right now. That's right. this year. And then next year we move into improving our early childhood areas. Then we're going to do elementary. It's like a 10 year and, you know, say to your pastor, boy, this links with what we're doing, even with our building, even with our protection and child protection policies. You know, we've talked about this, Valerie. We've gotten in the church so focused on protecting our kids, which is extremely important. I pray every day that God would protect the Mm -hmm. minors in our ministry, the children, you know, 0 to 18, from moral, physical, sexual, intellectual, spiritual harm. So important to protect our kids. But we've gotten so postured in children's ministry to protect the kids that if they're safe and it's fun and they don't complain when they get in the car with to their parents, that's children's ministry. Yeah. Did you have fun? Did the, you have fun? The most common question. You know, and I, I know that most, most kid, parents say, did you have fun? And did you learn anything about Jesus? Yeah. And I want kids to say yes to both. Do you but know? I, but I, I want that deep yeah, discipleship. I think that's one example of how, uh, you know, professional pastors, uh, people on church staffs are uh, so caught up in the immediate. They There's so much on them to, right. to get done. that It's really difficult to go, hmm, you know, these kids are going to be the church in 2050. And are we preparing them well enough to be able to handle? That's, that's a question that is so far out there when you're trying to make Sunday work. Yeah. When you're, when you're, you can get as a pastor. And I think, you know, I grew up in a smaller setting than where I serve and I, I ache for the pastor that a couple of pastors I grew up under 
that they were constantly, and I think this can happen no matter the size of the ministry, you can, as a pastor, senior leader, be constantly in the mode of problem solving. Problem yes. solving, problem solving, which is so important because there were some big problems we got to help people it's with. It's so yeah. draining. It's so draining that you don't have time to step back and think strategically and philosophically. And often the ones that get lost are the ones that aren't directly in front of us as pastors, senior pastors. The ones in front of us generally are adults. Mm-hmm. And if, if we have a service, or many churches, that, you know, kids of a certain age stay in for so long in the service, then they go somewhere or there's a midweek mm-hmm. pa- Pastors are generally looking at adult faces and trying to respond to the problems of, of those faces in front of them that they forget. It's just, it's not intentional. I don't want to blame pastors. No. We blamed, we take a lot of guilt. You go to every conference a pastor <laughs> yeah. goes to, you walk it's away with about guilt. Your... You know, you're a failure. Yeah. I tried. I've done two funerals in the last week before I came to this conference. Yep. And I had a family say they're leaving the church because we changed the from donuts to fresh fruit <laughs> between services and whatever it is. And you everything know. fell apart. Oh, everything fell apart. We did that. You know, <laughs> Satan is in our midst because we got, you know, or, or we're still doing donuts and we should be doing fresh fruit. Um, I would say to those pastors, uh, just in the midst of the problem solving, just take a step back and recognize that there are children who don't, who are kind of blank sheets of paper right now. Their hearts are pliable. They're open. Um, and they don't need, the children can't even express it. They are hungry for adults who will pour into them and say, I know you, I value you, I love you, and so does Jesus. Yeah, Amen. that's and, beautiful. And if a pastor could just take, maybe even put it on your calendar, 15 minutes every week to say, I'm going to pray for the children and the students in our church, and I'm going to think about what are we doing and ask questions. Just because in the problem-solving mode, there are serious problems. There's someone who, you know, last Sunday before, or last weekend, we have a Saturday night and two Sunday mornings, Somebody walked up to me before the Saturday night service and said, did you know Mrs. So-and-so tried to commit suicide yesterday mm-hmm. and is in the hospital? And I, I know Mrs. So-and-so, but I wasn't aware of that. I found out our care team was. It just had happened the day before, and they've already been ministered to. But I went into that, that, that pulpit setting, that teaching yes. setting, with her on my heart. And children don't always have those complexities because they're so innocent that they don't get our problem-solving attention. As long as they're safe and they're hearing a story about Jesus, we think we're comfortable. We need to be strategic. We need to take 15 minutes a week to pray for the children in our ministry. You just take 15 minutes a a week as a pastor and say, I want to pray for the children. And I say that to say, that's your starting point. And I guarantee you, if you'll take 15 minutes a week and seriously pray for the children in your care, the next week you'll find yourself doing that twice for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then the you know the third or fourth week, you're going to see yourself having a conversation with an elder, a staff member, a volunteer, asking some questions about children's ministry. Then you're going to find yourself praying 15 minutes a day. You know, mm-hmm. The reason I say this is I think people, when they get a book like Resilient, Pastors, we generally are told by people, you got to read this now and we got to change everything tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, there's no space. For, so the pastor just says that's impossible and shoves the book to... The, right. the lower part of the stack. I think if you take 15 minutes a week and read five pages in Resilient as a pastor and you haven't thought about your children's ministry in a while, you don't have to jump in the deep end. Just wade in and because I think exponentially 
the effect on your church will be much greater than trying to jump in the deep end and then you get overwhelmed, you just push the book to the background yeah. and you push the kids to the background. I like that, Sean. So wade in and see what God might do. He'll open up the space yes, for your think, heart and mind to love the and, children and, and get strategic. And he will open up their eyes, yes. pastor's eyes yes. uh, to the children. When you start praying, yeah, all I think of a sudden what we you start about. seeing, you know, differently and being more um, aware. Uh, so that's great. Is uh, being a pastor one of the hardest jobs in the world? Well, I would say yes. But <laughs> I was going to ask if you thought you I know, overstated you know, it. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I think, uh, you know, I remember about when I was about 15 to 20 years out of seminary, um, I remember uh, I was reading a statistic somewhere on a blog or and maybe it was Barna. Somebody had a statistic that 75% of evangelical seminary graduates are not in ministry 15 years after they graduate from seminary. Mm-hmm. That's a high number. And I look at my own seminary class, it's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, they may be still active in their local church. They may be an elder, a leader, a, you know, but they, it was so overwhelming. I think being a pastor is, is a high-pressure job, but it's a high-reward blessing job. Mm-hmm. Amen. So it, you know, just when I think I'm going to get overwhelmed <laughs> or I am feeling overwhelmed and I maybe reach out to a friend or a counselor for some help, uh, that's right at the time God says, okay, you've gone through that pressure. Now look at the blessing. And just something opens up at the right time. God's, even since I was a child, I've talked about my childhood being in a key uh, impetus for me uh, being engaged with children's ministry. Even when I was a child, when I thought things were, I was drowning, was overwhelmed, God would have someone at the church in the lobby say something to me, encouraging. And, it'd be, and I, even as a nine or 10 year old, I'd walk away going, Wow, I needed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I recognize now that was a God moment. It was. Yes. God meeting me in that moment. So I would say, too, to pastors, if you if the family comes to shake your hand after the service in the lobby or at the door, however that works, um, get down on your knee. I remember we had a, an opportunity years ago when George uh, W. Bush was the sitting president. He came to the town in Charleston, West Virginia, where I was pastoring at the time. And my whole family got to be at a reception to meet him. And we were in a line and they had our names on the floor on masking tape. Oh, so really? the pres- yeah, <laughs> facing the president. And it was only like 10 of us in this line. Then he spent 10 to 15 minutes with us. But I will never forget that he greeted my wife and me. And then he got down on his knee and asked questions to my kids. What's your favorite subject in school? And I'm not just, you know, I'm not saying George Bush is the only politician who had done that. <laughs> but you could sense a genuineness. And yeah. I, I watch pastors when I visit churches the whole family comes and he talks to the father and the mother and then he pats the children on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the child in the eye and ask him how school's going or ask him, you know, what's your favorite thing uh, to do? Like, do you play soccer, baseball? Just take a moment. That child will never forget mm-hmm. that that pastor yeah. who's it's a up front big deal. just acknowledge my existence. Yeah. And that's another step for senior pastors and for leadership, um, pastoral leadership team members. I'm going to flip your thought here yeah. and say, maybe those of us who have pastors in our lives should be praying for our pastors yep. more, right? Yep. And maybe we've been a lot more critical and analytical and disappointed uh, that only prayer could um, heal. 
Yep. And so, you know, maybe uh, that's a good word for those of us who are in churches. Definitely. And, we, I know um, I would appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when someone comes up, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Absolutely. But, you know, before you give them resilient, I, I love that. And before you uh, tell them, here's where we ought to go, why not spend a week every day praying? Yep. And that might change the way you accompany that book with words. It might change the way those words are formed before you give it to Can your I give pastor. you one other little hint on that or a suggestion? Yes. I'm always blown away. You mentioned I try to stay after each service until I absolutely have to get to the next service or nobody's there. And so sometimes I end up after the service that ends around 12.15 each Sunday. Sometimes I'm there till 1, 1.30 and because the line, it'll, I just wow. think it's dwindling. And then I see someone come <laughs> over at the donuts. They've had three donuts. Now they're over to me or whatever. But um, I'm always blown away because 90% of the people in the line are there to comment on your sermon or to ask you for prayer <laughs> or complain. I'll put that in that list too. <laughs> there you go. But, but I'm always blown away when someone walks up and says, Pastor, I just want to know, how can I pray for you this week? Yeah. They waited in line. Which I think, and I mean, you can imagine, you know, this person in line tells me their nephew died in a car accident and their whole family's crushed. you're praying with them. Yeah, I pray with them. Go to the next person, it's Pastor, I hope nobody's hearing Pastor, but my husband used the divorce word with me for the first Mm -hmm. time this week. Mm -hmm. Pastor, our doctor has given us, I'm going to go through a test on Tuesday and pray for my wife and I because... This is going to determine if it's cancer. That's the kind of thing you get in line, you know, and it goes from one after the other. So you have to almost emotionally close down the conversation that was just the last minute and a half and prepare for the next one. But I'm always blown away when someone comes along and says, um, uh, Pastor, how can I pray for you? Are you like speechless? I actually (laughs) am because when you're, when you're, when you're, 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 I'm in a posture to receive, not to be shocked. You know, I've had people walk up and say, you know, based on your message today that you love everyone, you're the first person. I've had probably a dozen people say, you're the first person right now I'm coming out to you. Mm. Yep. And I might have known them when they were a teenager. And I'm going to say, oh, how am I going to? And then in my mind, I'm thinking, how are these parents going to react? I try to talk to them in love. But they're also looking for, they're looking to see I'm going to love them. But they're also trying to figure out what my response is going to be. So you're in this posture of dealing with cancer and major life choices and people are coming to you in tears. And then when that one mm-hmm. person, it's usually, I hate to say it this way, but it's usually a little old lady. Nice. Yeah. Who's very committed to prayer. Uh, even the husband's gone. She spends time in prayer and she'll just look, hey, pastor, it's been a little while. I just want to ask you, what could I pray for you about? You know, a lot of revivals have started with little old ladies, oh, yeah. right? Amen. <laughs> praying a- for their husbands. <laughs> praying. Yeah, so they, there must be something to that. I had a seminary <laughs> professor who called them the little old, lady in, little old ladies in tennis shoes because he said they would beat you to the front door of the church. Like by the time you end your sermon, the service ends, and you try to rush to the back door to greet people, she's already there. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, I, I think that would really be a blessing Valerie, if people would I walk just up to the have such a picture. Speak. You know, uh, I travel and speak for women's groups right. and uh, women's lives are like what you're talking about here. And I would go in for a weekend and they would tell me these stories and I would try to counsel them. I would try to, and I would come home that Monday. I literally could not get out of bed. And so, you know, you, you're like the sin bearer or the burden bearer for a whole community of people who have real lives. And I, what I found, the only way I could really handle it was I couldn't really counsel. I, I would pray 
I would pray with them and release it to God. Otherwise, I just couldn't keep going. So think of that. If you had that every weekend with people and during the week, too, uh, how what a burden that would be. And That's harder on the weekend for me than preaching the most complicated message. I agree. I could get up and preach, walk off the platform, go home, and I'd wake up Monday. How do you manage that? Well, I, to tell you a funny little story, we have a Holocaust survivor at Calvary, a wonderful lady, incredible story. If you ever were able to interview her, she's just wonderful. Her name is Yola. Just can't even get into her story, but you can imagine being a Holocaust survivor and she's in her Mm nineties and she had been, she went back to Germany as a missionary for 50 years. She's, she's just a delightful, when you're in California, I have to to sit down (laughs) with your West coast pastor. She's she's a beautiful lady, but she, I had her come and pray. We did a, a, a couple of years ago, I did a series on forgiveness and I had her come at the end of each service and pray over the congregation. Forgive, to yes. they be able to, because, and what was funny was, first first service, I asked her if she'd do this. Sure. First service, I say to her, uh, I look at her and I say, uh, Yola's agreed to pray over us. Uh, because I know, Yola, you have forgiven those Nazis and those that were cruel to you. And she says, no, I haven't. Oh. <laughs> the end of my message. I was about to pray. Pray. And she says, no, I haven't. But then she explains it. I don't think I ever could. Oh, yeah. But I extend the forgiveness of God. It was Amen. really beautiful how she said it. But she shocked me by, you know, I've got two minutes left in the service. I'm going to have this dear 90-year-old woman pray over the people forgiveness. But Yola that day, when she prayed, it was powerful. Mm. And she stood next to me in the lobby then. And she wrote me this letter. It was... Um, I was so nervous to be up front, but that turned out to be the light part of the job. I don't know how you listen to the burdens of people every week. She, she so wrote me this. I was, and that letter meant so much to me. I put it on there like the glass on my desk so it would be there, just reminding me that she got it. She had a taste of it. And uh, so a Holocaust survivor said my job was pretty tough. So I figured yeah. that. But, it, but it's also a blessing because people will come back six months later and say, you know, Pastor, guess what? We're cancer free now, or and then some. I've been there at the funeral. We started praying two years earlier with a couple. He had that cancer appointment. Turned out on Tuesday it was cancer, and now I'm doing his memorial. Yeah, but I'm there with the wife again. Yep. And uh, but I, I think that would something very important. And you and I've talked about this before, Valerie. As you approach your pastor on any issue, especially if you've got a heart for children's ministry, is approach them that you're on their side. Yes. Not that you're an adversary, because even if they don't get it right away, your love for them and your heart and just tell them, you know, pastor, I'm continuing to pray for you, continue to pray for our families and the children in our church. It will open his heart. If, if there's something that's blocking his ability to see the children in the church and the priority that needs to be on them, your kindness to him and your love for him will open up uh, your voice to speak into even, could you read this book, Pastor? And uh, I'm not saying to do these things to manipulate your pastor. I'm saying to do these things to love your pastor and to help him be a better pastor, even to the next generation. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. 
Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode. And go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week.